Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to season four of Osteobites. My name is Christina Iptoma, and I am mom to Osteo Angel Dillon and director of scientific programs at MIB Agents. And today on Osteobites, we are talking with Dr. Marie Nelson, assistant professor of pediatrics at Children's National Hospital, about an open phase two trial combining cryoablation and immune checkpoint inhibitors in pediatric solid tumors. Thank you so much, Dr. Nelson, for joining us on Osteobites today. We're thrilled to have you. And thank you to Walker Smallwood for joining us as panelists today. Um, Walker is an osteo warrior, and also we're lucky to have him as an MIB Agents Junior Advisory Board member. A little bit more about our guest today. Dr. Marie Nelson is originally from Michigan, and she attended college at the University of Notre Dame and earned her medical degree from Loyola University Chicago Stritch School of Medicine. She finished her residency in pediatrics at Anne and Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago prior to completing a fellowship in pediatric hematology, oncology, and bone marrow transplantation at Children's National Hospital in Washington, DC. Dr. Nelson is a member of the solid tumor faculty and assistant professor of pediatrics at Children's National Hospital, where she also leads the adolescent and young adult oncology program. And her research focuses on combining local therapies and immunotherapy in order to improve the outcomes and reduce the side effects of treatment for pediatric patients with solid tumors. And she's the principal investigator of a phase two trial, neoadjuvant dual checkpoint inhibition and cryoblation in relapsed refractory pediatric solid tumors that we're gonna be talking about with her today. So welcome to everyone joining us today. Please feel free to add your questions for Dr. Nelson to the Q&A. Um, and Dr. Nelson, thank you so much for kicking off season four of Osteobites with us. We can't believe we're in our fourth season. We've produced nearly 90 episodes, if you can believe it. Um, so we have quite a large archive now of presentations on research studies and um, navigating surgical and treatment options. So be sure to check out our uh, YouTube playlist. Um, and, uh, before we get started, um, just have a few announcements. Even though it's the start of the year, we have so many things going on. Um, we just announced our dates for our Factor Osteosarcoma Conference. It's gonna be June 22nd to 24th in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, registration will open next month. And I will um, put a link in the chat with some more info. We are now accepting abstracts for the conference. The deadline is February 24th. Um, and I'll also pop a link in the chat about that. And then we have our, our research grant program, Outsmarting Osteosarcoma. Grant applications are due February 3rd, so you, about four weeks away. Um, we have a $100,000 annual grant and a $50,000 annual grant for young investigators. And um, like last year, we expect to fund multiple awards this year. Um, you can apply online at Proposal Central, and um, I'll put some more information in the chat about that as well. And lastly, um, to stay on top of all these programs and events, subscribe to our monthly newsletter called Connective Issue. It includes info of interest to our osteo community, including recent news and papers, open clinical trials, job postings, um, info about all our upcoming events and programs, and also spotlights on members of our community. We actually recently had a spotlight on Walker um, and his really um, incredible story. So to make sure you get all this delivered in your inbox every month, um, just go to our website, click on the Join Our Community form, and I will also pop that link in the chat. Um, great, so uh, that's enough for me. Uh, Walker, would you please introduce yourself? 
Hi, my name is Walker Smallwood. I'm part of the junior advisory board this year. Um, I'm an Osteo Warrior, and uh, I'm just really excited to be here today. Fantastic. And um, Dr. Nelson, we'll hand it over to you to go ahead and get started. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much to MIB agents, uh, to Christina and Walker for having me today and giving me the opportunity to discuss a recently opened phase two trial at Children's National in Washington, DC. As a pediatric oncologist, I am so blessed to have the chance to work with amazing patients and their families who inspire me every day as we work together to find more effective and better tolerated treatments. So I dedicate this project and presentation to them. Today, we will start by reviewing the current status of treatment for pediatric solid tumors and why the activity of immune checkpoint inhibitors is limited in these cancers, including osteosarcoma. I will review cryoablation therapy and how it can enhance the efficacy of checkpoint inhibitors in solid tumors. And I will end by discussing our newly opened and innovative phase two trial which combines immune checkpoint inhibition and cryoablation therapy with the goal of inducing a response in pediatric solid tumors that is not seen in ch with checkpoint inhibitors alone. Pediatric solid tumors are a heterogeneous group of aggressive tumors of the bone, soft tissue, and other organs, which are treated utilizing a multimodal approach with surgery, chemotherapy, and sometimes radiation therapy. Unfortunately, our upfront or gold standard treatments have not changed in decades. Patients with metastatic or recurrent disease are at risk for poor outcomes because of lack of other effective treatments for them. Survivors are at risk for significant long-term effects due to the toxicities of treatment, including cardiac and renal dysfunction, infertility, and second cancers. Therefore, we really do need new and effective treatments for these patients. Immune checkpoint inhibitors are monoclonal antibodies that target proteins called checkpoints on tumor cells and patients' white blood cells. By blocking these checkpoints, specific white blood cells called T cells are stimulated to attack cancer cells the way they would a cold or the flu. These agents, such as nivolumab and ipilimumab, have led to breakthroughs in select adult cancers, such as melanoma and lung cancer, but responses have been limited in pediatric tumors when they're used alone. Evidence has shown that high-risk pediatric tumors, such as sarcomas, like osteosarcoma, have cold tumor immune microenvironments, meaning that they do not express antigens, such as HLA, and have low levels of T cells called tumor-infiltrating lymphocytes, that are needed to have a response to immune checkpoint inhibitors. Osteosarcoma has been generally found to have low levels of CD8 positive T cells and HLA antigen expression, and higher levels of these things have been found to correlate with a good response to chemotherapy and a favorable outcome. This slide depicts the many pathways that play a role in osteosarcoma's immune tumor microenvironment, either leading to a pro-tumor response and enabling tumor growth and a progression, or leading to an anti-tumor response and preventing tumor growth. This slide also highlights potential ways we could use targeted therapies to incite a response against the tumor by 
number one, increasing specific types of immune cells, such as T cells, B cells, and natural killer cells or NK cells. And number two, blocking immune checkpoints present on these T cells, such as PD-1 and CDLA4 to augment an anti-tumor response. This slide displays how checkpoint inhibitors work. As discussed, checkpoint proteins are expressed on both T cells and tumor cells. Tumor cells, like osteosarcoma, can express the checkpoint protein PDL1, which interacts with PD1 on T cells. This interaction turns off the T cell, preventing the immune system from recognizing the tumor cell and protecting the tumor from the immune system. In a similar way, another checkpoint protein called CTLA4, which is expressed on T cells, as you can see, um, interacts with antigen-presenting cells and, again, turns off the T cell response. Checkpoint inhibitors block the checkpoint protein so it cannot bind with its partner protein. Therefore, the T cells are not turned off and can recognize the tumor cells as a problem for the immune system, stimulating an anti-tumor response. As discussed, unfortunately, pediatric tumors like osteosarcoma do not have the needed co-stimulatory proteins or enough T cells present to stimulate an appropriate response to the checkpoint inhibitors when they're used alone. Cryoablation therapy is a safe, local control approach in pediatric tumors of the lung, bone, kidney, and soft tissue. It is used as part of the standard of care in relapsed or refractory solid tumors. As seen in the pictures provided by Dr. Sharma from Interventional Radiology at Children's, using a minimally invasive approach, a probe is inserted into the tumor and through cycles of freezing and thawing, ice crystals are formed, leading to tumor cell apoptosis, necrosis, and death. Laboratory studies demonstrate that cryoablation creates a favorable immune microenvironment by forming necrotic proteins um, or dead proteins that stimulate T cells and can potentially enhance the response to immunotherapy. Early results from clinic, adult clinical trials looking at melanoma and breast cancer demonstrate safety, simulation of immune response, and, and promising objective response rates in both the treated tumor and distant sites. Further, other studies demonstrate that giving checkpoint inhibitors prior to local therapies like radiation, cryoablation therapy, or surgery may even be more effective at stimulating an immune-mediated anti-tumor response. Hey, Austin, I have a question about that on the stimulating response. Like how, how, how long is that window? Um, you know, once, so let's say you have, you have the cryoblation and then it, it, you get all these like dead proteins in there that are stimulating response. How, how long do usually is that last? Do we know? Yeah, Christina, that is an excellent question because we actually we don't know how long that um, how long that response will last for, um, and so we'll talk a little bit about how the trial is designed. Um, we we're not sure. We 
expect that that initial response may last for weeks, but we're hoping with this trial, we'll learn a little bit more about, you know, what cryoablation is able to do to the immune response within the patient and, and how long that response may, may last for. Great, thanks. And so we hypothesize that the cryoablation therapy of tumor tissue will enhance the systemic anti-tumor response to dual checkpoint inhibition with nivolumab and ipilimumab, so checkpoint inhibitors, in patients with pediatric solid tumors due to an augmented T-cell activity within the tumor. We also hypothesize that the cryoablation therapy, despite being a local therapy, will cause a stimulation of the patient's immune response within the tumor and intensify an immune response elsewhere within the body leading to improved disease control at all disease sites, or something called an abscopal effect, and that the combination of cryoablation and immune checkpoint inhibition will be well-tolerated by patients. We are excited to now have an open phase two trial employing two checkpoint inhibitors, once again called nivolumab and ipilimumab, with cryoablation therapy in relapsed and refractory solid tumors. When we think about clinical trial phases, a phase one trial, the goal is to assess which dose of the medication is tolerable and safe for patients and to better understand how the drug works in a patient's body. A phase two study like this has the main goal of assessing does this treatment work. So the primary objective of this study is to assess the disease control of nivolumab or anti-PD-1 and ipilimumab, or anti-CTLA-4, when given prior to and following cryoablation therapy at the pediatric recommended phase two dosing in patients with relapsed or refractory pediatric solid tumors, uh, namely osteosarcoma, Ewing sarcoma, and rhabdomyosarcoma. The secondary objective is to confirm the safety and toxicity profile of immune checkpoint inhibition in combination with cryoablation therapy in these patients when it's administered um, on day one, followed by the cryoablation therapy to one target lesion prior to day 15 of cycle one only. And then the exploratory objectives are to assess distant anti-tumor effects of this combination in um, a kind of rare tumor arm as a non-statistical cohort uh, to explore changes in immunogenicity and predictive biomarkers of response to this combination in blood and tumor tissue through tumor sampling at the time of cryoablation therapy. And then lastly, to explore changes in patient-reported quality of life outcomes using the PROMISE pediatric scale and the PROMISE parent proxy scale. The primary endpoint is objective response rate at distant tumor sites that did not undergo cryoablation therapy um, as defined as complete response and partial response uh, per the rhesus criteria. Um, once again, looking for that abscopal effect that we discussed. Secondary endpoint is to define the toxicities observed when cryoablation therapy is given in combination with the checkpoint inhib inhibitors. Um, and we are using the common terminology criteria for adverse events uh, through the NCI. 
And then the exploratory endpoints are um, objective response rate in distant sites in the non-statistical or kind of other tumor cohort that we have. Um, and markers of immunogenicity and the blood and tumor, which um, are archival or at the time of diagnosis and then collected at the time of cryoablation. Um, changes in the, um, once again, the promise um, uh, patient recorded outcome scales. In order to be eligible for this study, patients need to be over one year of age and less than 40 years and have a refractory or relapsed extracranial solid tumor that has no other curative options. The three statistical cohorts of this study are osteosarcoma, Ewing sarcoma, and rhabdomyosarcoma. There's a fourth cohort for all other tumors. Patients need to at least have two tumor sites, and at least one tumor site needs to be amenable to cryoablation therapy. Patients who are pregnant or breastfeeding have known CNS metastasis um, or autoimmune disorders um, or inadequate organ function um, are excluded. All patients will receive the current recommended um, phase two dose of nivolumab and ipilimumab on day one of cycle one, and then we'll undergo cryoablation therapy to one target tumor site prior to day 15 of cycle one. So as Christina, as you were asking, you know, how long are we expecting or hoping to see that stimulated immune response, secondary cryoablation? We are not sure, but we want to be able to, um, you know, based on other studies that have been done, we expect that it should uh, last for a few weeks. And so we really want to try to um, uh, target the initial response from the immune checkpoint inhibitors that are given, um, given the cryoablation therapy. Patients will continue to receive cycles of nivolumab and ipilimumab on day one of 21-day cycles up through cycle four, and then nivolumab monotherapy on day one and 15 of 28-day cycles um, onward. Um, they can remain on the therapy as long as they have no signs of progression or unacceptable toxicity. Patients can remain on treatment for up to a year and we will be monitoring them closely for side effects and changes within the blood and tumor for immune response. This is a look of, at the trial treatment schema. Patients will undergo an imaging evaluation every two cycles, following closely for response. And then peripheral blood will be collected at baseline prior to cryoablation therapy and prior to every odd cycle for flow cytometry to evaluate for changes in the immune cells. We will also evaluate the patient's tumor sample from time of diagnosis and compare it with the optional tumor sample collected at the time of cryoablation therapy and see how things have changed. We um, are performing um, immunohistochemistry staining uh, for PDL1 expression, which has been correlated with a response to checkpoint inhibition and tumor infiltrating lymphocytes um, and the expression of other genes involved in the immune response through an mRNA expression panel. 
sorry, another question. I so it sounds like it's it's basically you get the Nevo and the AB for for like up to four for four cycles, or you can remain on therapy. But the cryo is really just like a one time thing, right? Because if there's any progression, then you're off steady. Yeah. So the yeah. Um, the idea is that we you know start the immune checkpoint inhibitors, the Nevo and the FB, um, that um, patients then undergo the cryoablation therapy within that first cycle and just that one time. And then okay. they continue receiving the immunotherapy or the checkpoint inhibitors. Um, you know, initially it is um, every, you know, every three weeks or every 21 days. And then after starting at, um, um, starting after cycle four, um, the um, ipilimumab, that second checkpoint inhibitor kind of falls off and you just continue the nivolumab alone. Um, and then we continue to monitor the kind of after effects and response to treatment. Um, you know, our kind of rationale with the cryoblation therapy being one time is that, uh, that that should stimulate kind of an initial immune response that is then propagated um, and continued with the continued immune uh, checkpoint inhibitors that we've changed that, that tumor immune microenvironment of the tumor, um, that we bring in those T cells, we increase the antigens, and then the immune system kind of takes over and then is able to uh, continue to um, continue to target that not only the tumor that was cryoablated, but also, you know, any other sites of tumor throughout the patient's body. And are there any size, um, uh, like restrictions, either, either too small or too big for the cryo? And is there any thought, and I mean, this is probably kind of another thing that's part of the study, but yeah. just like, I imagine if I'm thinking like, if the, the, the tumor is larger, that there's potentially more protein from that, right? So like potential correlation between like ideal size of the tumor and the amount of kind of protein that the, that kind of provides to stimulate the immune response. Yeah, that's that's a really, really great question. So, um, you know, based on our protocol, there's actually, there's no limit to the size of, of tumor, but we have um, kind of set guidelines in, you know, how many probes will be used and how much time will be spent in cryoblading. And the, you know, while when we think about using cryoablation therapy in, you know, and a bit in the palliative setting and, um, you know, apart from a trial like this, the initial goal with cryoblation was to try to kill as much tumor as possible. Um, and so, you know, that, that would be the expectation outside of this trial that you want you know, want to kill the tumor cells. Um, but in this setting, we're really just trying to use the cryoablation therapy to our own advantage to stimulate the immune system and so, um, and to make that change within the tumor. And so we are not, you know, obviously, if we're able to um, you know, to treat an entire tumor with the cryoablation therapy as part of this study or an entire tumor site, then you know, I think that 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 is is a wonderful thing and that's great but we really just want to change enough of the tumor to um to stimulate that immune response and then allow the checkpoint inhibitors to do their job 
Uh, you you may have already covered this, but is there any side effects to cryoablation besides just the surgery itself, or is it uh, like chemo per se? Yeah, that's that's a really good question, Walker. So uh, the cryoablation therapy it's done by the interventional radiologist. So um, it is it is a what we call a minimally invasive procedure. Um, that, so it's done under anesthesia. So patients are, are sedated um, by the anesthesiologist for it. Um, that the interventional radiologist is able to use imaging in real time to see where the tumor is. And then they're able to insert another probe that does the, the freezing and thawing of the tumor. Um, and so, um, they usually will make a very small incision um, in order to accomplish this. Um, following the procedure, um, you know, risk to any procedure that's minimally invasive. There's risk for, you know, local bleeding and, um, and some local pain associated with it. Um, but overall, we found this to be a pretty well-tolerated um, procedure. Um, patients are able to do it in the outpatient setting and go home after. If there are questions I can answer. Yeah, I think we had a few more questions actually come through um, the Q&A. Um, and uh, we'll throw out actually some of them now because I think they're, they're kind of on topic now. Um, so one of the questions was, if cryoblation has a positive immunoresponse, can we put forward a thesis that even if we're not able to remove all um, uh, meds, that they can be affected by this immune response? Um, so just to make sure I, I'm answering or answering the question, so please um, clarify if I'm not. But um, so, um, you know, that's we're expecting and based on um, our understanding of, you know, the the cryolation plus the checkpoint inhibitors so that, um, you know, we, while the cryolation is local and we're changing only some of the tumor to bring in the immune cells and help it be recognized by the immune system, that the checkpoint inhibitors, they're, they're given um, into an IV. And so they are traveling everywhere in the, um, in the patient's body um, through the bloodstream. And so, they, you know, in including including the tumor that was cryoablated. And so they will stimulate more of an immune response within the tumor that's cryoablated. But then any T cells in the body or other immune cells that are recognizing and seeing that tumor, we know that they're also going to other locations in the body through the bloodstream and visiting those other tumor sites that weren't cryoablated. And so should then have a response, we should see that the immune system is able to target um, and fight off those tumors as well. Great, thanks. Um, well, why don't you go ahead and we'll, uh, we'll, if you have some additional questions then we can wait till the end for those. Okay, you wanna keep going? Sure, sure. So um, Children's National is the leading and coordinating center, and we're the, in the process of opening the study at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, um, Washington University, and St. Louis. 
and the National Cancer Institute in Bethesda, Maryland. Um, we're very excited that this is the result of a collaborative effort um, of both pediatric oncologists and interventional radiologists. Um, we are mostly thrilled that this trial offers a safe and potentially effective therapy, including a locally targeted and minimally invasive approach for children who currently have no cure for their disease. It will give us the incredible opportunity to learn more about immune checkpoint inhibitors and their activity in pediatric solid tumors so that we will be able to make them more effective for future patients. Um, I would like to thank other members of the study team, Dr. Aaron Kim, who is my mentor and colleague in the Division of Oncology, Dr. Karun Sharma, who's the leading interventional radiologist on the study team, and Dr. Anthony Sandler, who leads the Tumor Immunology Laboratory collaborating with us on the, collaborative, on the correlative studies. The contact um, information for those interested in learning more about this study is displayed. Anne is the clinical research coordinator, and Sherry is our research nurse assisting with the study. Um, and just want to thank um, MIB, um, MIB agents again um, for the opportunity to speak with everyone today. And I'm grateful to our generous supporters who have made this trial possible. Um, and I'm happy to take um, any and all other questions as well. Okay, so there's a there's a couple other questions that we got. Um, I think earlier in your presentation, you said amendable to cryoablation therapy. So what exactly does that mean? That's a, a great question. So um, the kind of guidelines and what things are, um, you know, able to be cryoablated. So you, um, they can be bone, bone tumors, they can be uh, tumors within the lung or liver um, or elsewhere in the body. The biggest thing is you don't want it any, you know, very close to um, big vessels or things that um, could be potentially injured um, by the cryoablation. So I think that is one of the major things, but otherwise, you know, there are many different tumor sites or places that the tumor can be that um, the interventional radiologist would be able to treat. Um, and any, okay. any patient were referred, um, we review the imaging closely with uh, radiologists and with uh, the interventional radiology team, um, you know, to assess which, um, you know, which patients are, are good fits for the study and, um, you know, what which tumor sites um, would be best uh, to cryoblate. And then I think you said this earlier, but do you have to have two or more tumors to be eligible for the study or is it just, uh, could you just have like one? Yeah, so for this study, um, you need to have two in order to be eligible. Um, and that's because um, one of the aims of the study is to assess the response in a tumor that's not cryoablated um, and to watch for a response um, as well. I don't think there's any more questions in the chat that I can see. Great. Um, if anyone else has any questions, please feel free to keep sending them in and we'll ask Dr. Nelson. And um, a couple of questions on, on cryo, because I do feel like it's a newer therapy and not all institutions have it available. And I mean, when I've heard of, of people getting cryo, it has 
for osteo at least, it's usually been in um, unresectable nodules in the lung. Um, I haven't heard of in the bone, but how common is it in lung versus bone for osteo? Yeah, so, um, you know, the, the sites of recurrence for osteosarcoma, um, you know, more initial presentation um, most often tends to be in the lung if there's distant sites, um, but we, we can see, um, you know, metastasis to other bones or spread to other bones of the body. Um, and so, um, you know, that's something, you know, as um, an oncologist, we always make sure to screen for, um, you know, upfront and then over time, um, patients um, can be followed for that as well. Um, and yeah, bone tumors. So in the setting of um, a patient with osteosarcoma that, um, you know, would be interested in the study or we were screening, um, you know, looking pulmonary lesions definitely can be cryoablated. And then um, there's also settings that a bone tumor, um, like an osteosarcoma that spread to another site um, could also be um, ablated as well. And I think sometimes, like often the conversation can be when you have an unresectable uh, lung nodule or even potentially like a, a bone meds that's um, difficult to get with, with surgery. Um, the conversation is, you know, usually also radiation therapy, um, you know, versus like an cryo. And, um, and I, that also, that seems to, I think, kind of still some be a little confusing kind of what the advantages and disadvantages are of radiation therapy versus cryo. So could you maybe kind of help us better understand kind of the considerations, I guess, for kind of what makes something a better candidate for radiation therapy versus cryo, and then maybe what some of the pros and cons would be associated with each? Sure. So in the setting of, um, of treating osteosarcoma, absolutely. So we, you know, chemotherapy up front, um, and then um, osteosarcoma is um, a tumor that is best served by surgical resection um, or removing, you know, when we think about treatment, um, in addition to chemotherapy, that we need to do something else locally to help um, uh, help treat the tumor or remove the tumor. And the and a number one option is surgery whenever it's possible. Um, you know, as you mentioned, Christina, depending on the location of um, disease. So if someone were to have spread or metastasis to other bones that resecting those areas, depending, especially depending on where that bone is located can be really, really difficult. Um, and so in settings like that, then our next thought or next step would be um, thinking about radiation. And, um, and this is all, you know, within the upfront, upfront setting. Um, the radiation response of osteosarcoma is, it's just not, unfortunately, just not as sensitive to radiation um, and requires pretty high doses of radiation. Um, but, um, you know, in thinking if we can't perform surgery to resect the tumor completely, that radiation is kind of the next best option um, in the curative setting for patients. Um, in this 
So um, when we think about kind of other options like cryoablation um, in settings apart from this trial, um, that we would think about it more in uh, kind of the palliative setting that we're not able to resect. Um, you know, it might be a patient that's already been radiated or that's not an option um, that we might think about cryoablation as like another, another kind of third option alone. Um, the goal of this trial is really uh, to help, um, you know, potentially help patients that um, have seen all those other upfront options and, um, you know, are looking for for other potential things that that may help. Um, and so, um, kind of this combination, um, while in the past, um, you know, cryoablation therapy is something that um, and continues to be an option for um, for patients uh, that have seen other other things and are looking for um, other ways to treat their tumor. Um, you know this this study I think offers a um, a different approach um, that combines a few different treatments. So including those the two the two checkpoint inhibitors um, or immunotherapy um, along with. Uh, something more local like cryoablation therapy that, um, you know, is something, it's not offered at all institutions or all places, but um, I think we're starting to see it more and more um, performed by interventional radiologists um, in the pediatric setting. Thank you. So you uh, you said that this is a phase two study. So I was just curious on what you think like the time frame would be that this could become kind of a more common and widely used uh, treatment. And then could it ever like uh, rival or kind of become the replacement for MAP therapy at some point? Yeah, at this point, um, I don't I don't foresee it becoming um, you know MAP MAP therapy, which is um, you know, something that's been around for a long time, and we at this point haven't found other treatments uh, that um, are as effective as MAP therapy um, or the combination of uh, three chemotherapy agents um, that are kind of the gold standard upfront treatment for osteosarcoma uh, for these kind of early, we call them early phase uh, clinical trials that are testing uh, newer treatments. Um, they, as as I've learned, they they take a long time to get started, and they they um, unfortunately do take a long time to um, gather all the results uh, to be able to be established as um, one of the the new standards. And I think there's really been a a push, um, you know, nationally to really get these trials open uh, to be able to analyze data as quickly as we can because we really want to get these treatments out to out to patients if they're effective. Um, and so um, I expect that you know the results and um, you know next steps it may take you know years, year to years, but um, really trying to push this forward um, you know with an eye on safety for patients um, just because we know things can take a while, and I think the other exciting thing about this trial is, you know, as as we're treating patients and hopefully providing them some benefit, that we also um, are trying to learn more about how these medications work, um, because um, we're hoping that that um, will provide us, you know, better ways to improve how they work in the in the future. Thank you. 
and for future trials as well. So would this uh would this therapy overall probably be less or easier on someone's body than just the traditional chemotherapy? Um, yeah, and so that's that's the goal, and that's what we're hoping to find out. Um, these two um, immune checkpoint inhibitors, Nevo and Ipi, have been studied in other early phase uh, clinical trials um, in pediatric patients and young adult patients. Um, and so, um, and kind of our established doses and what we know uh, for the most part should be tolerated and well tolerated and safe, um, you know, for patients. Um, you know, we are always looking for things that are better tolerated than, than chemotherapy. But at this point, you know, we know that that MAP chemotherapy, while as you, you know, and, and many others, I'm sure on this, this webinar um, are aware of, do have a lot of side effects, but really are, you know, the, the most effective uh, treatment that we know of so far. Uh, and Dr. Nelson, just wanted to, um, and I know you went through the eligibility, just but just wanted to clarify um, what the, like if there are any washout periods or the amount of time that you have to be off other therapies before being able to enroll on the trial. And they're also, like I know for surgery, I kind of remember there being considerations, like there's certain drugs that you have to be off of for, uh, you know, a month before being able to go into the OR and wondering if there are any of those considerations with um, cryo. And, and even also just first starting on the on the, um, the, the two checkpoint inhibitors. Sure, sure. So there are um, very clear criteria set out in the, the protocol about a timeline that patients need to be off certain uh, treatments. So when we think about kind of classic uh, cytotoxic hemotherapy, um, the cutoff is 21 days. Um, and then there's other kind of guidelines based on other immunotherapy that patients may have received. Um, and um, this uh, does allow patients that have seen either uh, Nevo or Ipi, um, so other checkpoint inhibitors um, alone in the past are still eligible for this study, um, just because we believe that the cryoablation therapy will add more to the, uh, the treatment and response. Um, and so there are there are some washout therapy uh, washout periods um, that are are in place. They're very similar to kind of what is expected for other, um, you know, um, and other other similar early phase trials. Cool. And then likewise, is it okay if you've had cryo before without the checkpoint inhibitors? Yes. Okay, so as long you can have it either alone, but just as long as you haven't had them in combination, you're good. Right, exactly. Okay. And you had a question about surgery as well, and and um, you know that expector or would yeah more more. I mean, slightly kind of you know relevant to the trial, but even more just like alone surgery versus cryo because I know um, there's certain drugs. I think possibly just because of the the impact on on bleeding. Um, that you need to be off of for a minimum 30 days prior to surgery um, mm -hmm. and wondering if there are similar concerns for cryo with the same types of uh, drugs or the same kind of drug class that, mm -hmm. is that a concern at all for cryo and the management of 
So there's um, there are some targeted uh, medications, not in this um, this study, but in others that do require um, you know someone to be off them for a while before being able to um, undergo a procedure, um, and so um, would you know check on that or um, and you'd have to be off um, you know off any other um, study treatments um, that are apart from this um, before being enrolled on this study. But um, we wouldn't expect that um, the immunotherapy would affect someone's ability to heal. Um, and so um, there's no kind of clear timeline with that. Okay, great, thanks. Uh, I have one question. So uh, a lot of times they do osteo research in dogs. Uh, so have they done any coagulation or anything like this treatment in dogs that you know of? So um, at this point, um, cryoablation therapy is pretty, it's a, a standard, um, a standard treatment that's done in adults and um, in the pediatric setting as well. Uh, this combination, um, um, you know, is um, a checkpoint inhib inhibitor um, plus cryoablation therapy is something that's been done in, in adults as well. And so I'm kind of past the point of, um, what we call preclinical, which means uh, things that are done in the laboratory. And um, Dr. Nelson, are you able to share, uh, actually a couple things, is this, are there other sites that are open on this trial or is it just at Children's National? So right now it is uh, just at Children's National, um, but we are, we've been actively taking the steps to open at other sites. Um, as well. Um, so including um, uh, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta and Washington University in St. Louis. Um, and so not open yet at other sites, but um, taking those steps to, to do that. To yeah. That. And if patients do end up traveling to enroll, do um, the expectation is that they would just need to be there for the infusions and obviously for the cryoablation. But like, I don't know, are there labs and all that stuff happening in between? Like, would you expect patients to actually have to kind of settle in for a few weeks or are they able to just kind of be there for the infusions and yeah. So during the, the first cycle, um, there are labs weekly. Um, and so I know that's always um, kind of an addition of being a part of a clinical trial that there's additional labs and, and check-ins that are, are needed. And so um, there is um, and of that aspect and part is just to, you know, monitor the patient um, for tolerance and, and safety, um, you know, so um, initially patients, um, you know, are expected to be around in the first cycle, especially, um, and then as we move further out, um, you know, that there's a little bit more flexibility um, and kind of later on that patients come in uh, for their immunotherapy um, every 21 days, and then that, that changes to every two weeks. Um, but the, the lab check-ins are less often and, um, once again, providing additional flexibility that you wouldn't necessarily need to be right in the area, but you'd want to be close by to, um, you know, another um, hospital or care center that you'd be able to be seen if there were any issues or concerns. Right. 
And um, can you share how many patients have enrolled to date? Uh, so uh, thus far, um, yeah, so we're we're actively screening patients. Um, we have uh, one patient thus far. Okay, great. Um, do we have any other questions from the audience or Walker? Do you have any other questions? There's nothing that I can think of, and I think we we got everything from the Q and A. Okay, great. Um, well, thank you, Dr. Nelson. This has been really helpful and interesting, and I think also great for any patients considering this trial. Um, this gives them a really nice overview. So um, appreciate it, and um, I think I think we can learn a lot. I mean, it's kind of interesting because I mean, obviously, surgery, and we want to get the get those tumors out, right? <laughs> like that is kind of the first thing, but. You know, in a weird way, it doesn't have the benefit of this um, opportunity to stimulate immune response, which it seems like it could be an advantage just after after MAP, right? Like just to kind of minimize chance of recurrence. Um, I think it really it provides an exciting, you know, an exciting option, something different. Um, you know, I think. You know, the mainstay of, of treatment still, if it's able to be resected um, for osteosarcoma, that that's, you know, I think the best option still. But I think, um, you know, kind of after that um, and based on limitations, um, you know, for additional surgeries, that this really, really does, um, does offer um, an exciting option and, um, you know, and potential, potential, um, you know, an exciting option for potential, um, potential response. And yeah, no, I mean, it's for, I mean, it seems like a great option for local control just because of, uh, you know, the minimal side effects that it's outpatient, you know, like, uh, you know, it's just a much kind of a easier, easier, um, uh, treatment for the patient. Um, but then you also have this potential of kind of systemic, you know, effects from the therapy. So um, definitely some some really positive uh, advantages, hopefully. And we'll hopefully we'll see that in the study results. So thank you so much for sharing with us today. Really appreciate it. Um, and uh, thank you for making it better for pediatric sarcoma patients everywhere. Um, more information on this and all osteobites can be found on YouTube, on our website at mibagents.org and also um, at your favorite podcast place. And um, for those of you who registered, we will uh, send out links to all the recordings. And um, Dr. Nelson has been kind enough to also offer her slides to share with everyone. So we'll make sure um, we'll include those in our follow-up. And Osteobites is off next week, but we're gonna be back Thursday, January 26th with Dr. Eunice Lopez Fuentes from UCSF. And Dr. Lopez Fuentes is one of our 2022 Outsmarting Osteosarcoma Because of Charlotte grant recipients, and she will be discussing her work on two epigenically distinct cellular states in osteosarcoma that are regulated by a state-specific set of transcription factors driving differential drug response. And you can find our Osteobites lineup for the next few months on our website. If you have any ideas for future topics that you'd like to hear about, please share them with us at events at mibagents.org. And thank you again to Dr. Nelson and to Walker for spending an hour with us today. And thank everyone else for joining us today on Osteobites. 
We really um, are glad you are here. We hope to see you in a couple of weeks when we return with Dr. Lopez Fuentes on the 26th. So thank you everyone. Thanks so much, Dr. Nelson. Mm -hmm.